Thank you. That concludes general questions. The next item of business is First Minister's questions. I intend taking some constituency and general supplementaries after question two and some after question three. But members wishing to ask su such supplementaries should press the request to speak buttons during question two. And I'll keep a note of members who press and may take further supplementaries at the end if we have time. And members wishing a supplementary on questions four to six, please press at the relevant question. Question number one, I call Douglas Ross. Thank you, Presiding Officer. Every day in Scotland, four people lose their lives as a result of drug misuse. That's four lives every day cut needlessly short, families mourning the loss of loved ones every single day in Scotland. This is a crisis. It is a national shame. The longer we wait, the longer we fail to act, the more lives will be lost. People are looking to this parliament to deliver the solutions to halt this crisis and save lives. Today I published the Scottish Conservatives' Right to Recovery Bill to guarantee everyone who needs treatment for addiction can get it. I shared it earlier this morning with the First Minister. In June, she said she would look with an open mind at any proposals that are brought forward, including proposals for legislation. So will the First Minister commit to her government fully supporting our proposal to tackle Scotland's drug death crisis? First Minister. Uh, I will certainly uh, repeat what I said before. Uh, when there is a bill, we will look at that very carefully. I have received the consultation uh, this morning. I have an open mind on that. Uh, just in point of fact, uh, Presiding Officer, unless I am mistaken here, uh, Douglas Ross, as I understand it, has not published a bill uh, this morning. Indeed, the consultation that was sent to my office states at this stage there is no bill, only a draft proposal. Now, I'm not criticising that. It's important that legislation is properly consulted on. So we will consider uh, the proposals in the consultation and as uh, and when that develops into actual proposed legislation, we will consider that in detail. What I would say, though, in addition to that, and perhaps it's a point of agreement, I do think speed of action now is essential. We all know that legislation takes time to go through the proper processes. Uh, having looked uh, briefly at the document that was sent to me this morning, it, it doesn't appear on the face of it uh, to suggest anything that goes beyond what we are already doing, although it does uh, suggest that those things should be enshrined in legislation. So if I take, for example, uh, funding, part of the consultation uh, regards the establishment of a new national funding scheme separate to ADPs, uh, but it doesn't appear to be suggesting additional funding. Uh, for example, it says that what is proposed is well within uh, the £50 million annual spending already being delivered. So we will continue with the action we have set out. We will continue to take that action. I don't think it is right to wait for legislation. But I repeat again, uh, we remain open-minded uh, to looking at the details of legislation when that comes from the consultation that has been published today. Douglas Ross. The, the First Minister will be aware I'm going through the very uh, detailed process of the Non-Government Bills Unit and I'm following the advice of uh, parliamentary officials, which I'm very grateful for uh, that they have provided uh, to myself and the party. Uh, on the issue of funding, uh, we know that the money currently being spent on this issue to try and save people's lives is not getting to those who need it most, which is why we are saying there are alternative ways to do it. And I, I hope uh, the First Minister continues to be uh, positive in her response to the consultation and the legislation uh, that comes forward. Uh, but earlier this week, the, the First Minister proposed that we go on a joint visit, and she knows I immediately agreed to that offer. A key author of this bill 
and his colleague, the manager of Bluevale Community Club in Hag Hill, have suggested that the First Minister and I visit them to see the need for a right to recovery. Volunteers at the club pointed out that it is in the second most deprived area in Scotland. People in places like Hag Hill are 18 times more likely to die from drugs than people in the most affluent areas. Bluevale is trying to build a whole community, a whole system's response to the drugs crisis. This bill would help them get even more lives back on track. So will the First Minister agree to a joint visit with me to Bluevale so we can find some common ground and get around the table with those on the front line to hear why this bill is so desperately needed? First Minister. I will come to that point directly in a moment, but can I complete the uh, point I uh, addressed in my first answer? I, I was not, and I think I said explicitly, I was not criticising the process that uh, Douglas Ross is going through, but in his initial question to me, he said, I think, uh, that he had published a bill this morning, and I simply was making the point that is not the case. So we will consider the consultation, uh, we will consider that fully and with an open mind, and then uh, when that uh, is translated, as I expect it will be in the fullness of time, into uh, an actual bill, we will consider that in the normal parliamentary processes that uh, all legislation goes through. I, I do have an open mind. I, I hope we can find uh, maximum common ground. I, I suspect there will continue to be issues that divide us uh, on the correct responses to the drugs crisis, uh, but I hope none of us in this chamber allow uh, those issues to get in the way of the areas uh, where we can build agreement and consensus. Um, on the issue of a visit, I am uh, glad that Douglas Ross accepted uh, my suggestion earlier in the week that we uh, go together to a working class community. My office will be in touch uh, to take that forward uh, shortly. Uh, I am certainly uh, willing to meet uh, with organisations and indeed with individuals, as I have previously, uh, affected by drugs misuse. Of course, and I think this is an equally important point, presiding officer, and I hope it is one that will be accepted by Douglas Ross. Uh, the issues faced by working class communities go beyond drugs. Indeed, uh, drug misuse can, in some cases, be a symptom of deeper issues, poverty, for example. Uh, so I'm sure Douglas Ross will agree with me that if we are to uh, undertake uh, such a, a joint endeavour, it will also be important to meet with, for example, those who have just had their universal credit withdrawn, uh, driving them deeper into uh, the poverty conditions that then sometimes lead to the other issues that we are talking about. So I look forward to finalising uh, the details of that. I look forward to meeting with people who will no doubt uh, have things to say about Scottish Government policy, about what we are doing, about what more they think we should do, but also people who are being deeply affected each and every day right now by UK Government policy that is doing a lot of damage in working class communities the length and breadth of the country. Douglas Ross. I am grateful to the First Minister for that answer and I give an unconditional uh, acceptance to meet any community anywhere at any time because this is an issue of national importance. I am raising the issue about drugs deaths today because of the consultation uh, I brought forward and, and I know the First Minister has said this a couple of times. If I could just lay a bill right, right now, no I think it is just important that everyone understands this, if I could lay a bill right now I would but the non-government bills unit, which the Parliament supports, sets out a very specific process for those not in government to go forward with. But we have heard from the Drugs Minister and others within the government that they were waiting to see our proposals. Our proposals are in the consultation document which was launched today. And this bill has been built by frontline experts like Fever Scotland. It has the backing of recovery groups across the country. One of those is... 
I'm sorry, th this is a Continue, really Mr. Ross. Yeah, thank you, Presiding Officer. This is a really serious issue because I was saying what what we are putting forward has been backed by recovery group, group, groups across the country. One of those is Recovery Enterprises in Kilmarnock. The founder, Mark Gallagher, says that people have, and these are his words, given up trying to access treatment because they see the system as broken. And that's why he believes we need to take forward the proposal I've launched today. Will the First Minister listen to these experts and, instead of delaying any longer, commit her government to backing our bill at stage one so that Parliament can properly scrutinise? Because the First Minister's con concerns seem to be uh, the lack of scrutiny. By saying right now that she would approve our proposals at stage one, we give Parliament the opportunity to look at them in detail. First Minister. Presiding officer, I am genuinely trying to be helpful and to build some agreement here. Um, I have said twice, I, I understand the process Douglas Ross is going through. My comments are not meant to be a criticism. I would simply ask him, in return, to understand the, the proper and due process any responsible government has to go through in considering legislation. Um, I cannot uh, engage with a, a bill that does not yet exist for the reasons that we have heard. So we will engage with the proposals in the consultation. There is one uh, that I, uh, having looked at it briefly already this morning, uh, would immediately welcome that uh, for example, when it comes to treatment, the consultation seems to recognise that we need a range of different interventions and services uh, and that there can't be a one-size-fits-all approach. I actually think that is a welcome step forward from the Conservatives who previously have appeared to suggest uh, that only residential rehabilitation uh, was uh, a solution here. So already I can see the emergence of some common ground and I genuinely want to treat this with the respect it deserves. But equally, Douglas Ross must know that I cannot stand here and say uh, carte blanche that I will uh, vote for a bill when by his own admission, for understandable reasons, the bill does not yet exist. So let's try and move forward here with a genuine determination to build consensus uh, where we can. The last point I would make is one that I've made earlier. There is a real need here to move forward at pace with the best will in the world, and I think we are demonstrating this here today, legislation takes time and, and it takes time for good reason. Uh, I don't want to wait for legislation, however merited legislation may or may not turn out to be. I don't want to wait for that. We have set out uh, a very detailed plan of action backed by significant uh, additional resources uh, that has as its heart uh, guaranteed standards of treatment, including access to same-day treatment. So we're going to get on uh, with that. And then if we think as a parliament that legislation can help to underpin that in the future, as I've said many times, I am open-minded to that. But if we want to build that consensus, let's both understand the processes that we have to go through in order, hopefully, in the interests of people across the country, uh, that we can get there. Douglas Ross. And, and I think you know, that is a fair comment, but stage one of a bill is agreeing the general principles. And the First Minister has, has, has already... And the First Minister has already looked at some of the principles we are putting forward. She's already looked at the issues around funding. She's already looked at the areas where there is agreement. And while there seems to be opposition from her backbenches, I'm more encouraged by her response yeah. than I've heard from those behind her. Because our proposal is also supported by grieving families. And if SNP members want to talk over grieving families, then shame on them. Because I want to give a case about Vicky. Vicky has lost two brothers to drugs. She lost Stuart just last year. He was a father of twins. He was only 43. And Stuart came from a loving family. Vicky said he tried to get treatment, but, and I quote her words, 
He was moved from pillar to post. He was passed about the system. He was treated like he didn't matter. Vicky is backing our proposals. She can't know for sure that it would have saved Stuart, but she told us, if we had this bill, I wonder how many people would still be here. The First Minister was absolutely right to say that we have to move forward at pace. So will she listen to the experts, the Greening families and the proposals we are bringing forward and ensure that there is urgent parliamentary time given to consider the proposals on such an urgent issue? First Minister. Uh, look, I, I am genuinely, and I, and I think Douglas Ross has accepted this, I am genuinely trying uh, not to make this exchange uh, a politically divisive one, because I think we all agree, uh, we perhaps don't agree on all of the detail of this, we certainly don't necessarily agree on uh, all of the background to this, but I think we do agree that this Parliament, and I certainly accept that this Government has got much work to do. Um, let me try and, and, and make some progress here. Uh, I can't agree to vote for a bill that doesn't yet exist because I don't know what that bill in detail is going to say. But on the uh, look, and I only received the consultation this morning, I've, I've had the chance to, to have a brief look at it. I will study it in more detail. But if the broad uh, sort of proposals there translate into the general principles, principles of a bill, I think it would be uh, likely that we would want to give that bill a fair wind through, through Parliament to see whether on the detail we can reach consensus. Now, I think any reasonable person, when we're talking about a bill that is not yet in existence, would think that is not an unreasonable response uh, for a First Minister who has a duty uh, to make sure we go through all the right processes as well uh, to give. So I, I hope we can uh, sort of agree that that is a, a reasonable starting point. Um, and then on the, the fact that we have a duty, and it's a duty I feel very, very strongly, uh, to make sure that what hasn't worked well in our drug uh, treatment services in the past is rectified uh, for the future. Uh, we have an obligation uh, to make sure that we are listening to lived experience and that we're using that lived experience to drive proposals. My uh, condolences and, and you know, my sympathies are with Vicky on the loss of, of Stuart and with every other family that has lost someone to drugs. They are the ones that we must keep in mind. But part of keeping them in mind and part of living up to our responsibility uh, to them is making sure that we are thinking seriously um, about what has to be done. And that as we are considering, because we are demonstrating today in the time it takes, understandably, to even get a draft bill before Parliament, that legislation takes time, that we are moving on with various uh, things now. And that's the uh, commitment that the government has given and will continue to take forward. Point of order, Christine Graham. I just seek clarification, Presiding Officer. Uh, my objections uh, when Douglas Ross was speaking for a sedentary position were that he seemed to be trying to bypass the Northern Government of Wills Unit processes, which we all have to go through, which is a proposal consultation, then a bill laid. And I seek clarification from these exchanges. Has, is Mr Ross trying to bypass the others other members have to go through? I thank uh, Ms Graham for her point of order. Um, the member and other members will be well aware of the processes that a bill has to go through, and that will apply in this case as it would to any other bill. And I take Anna Sarwar, question number two. Two years ago, I stood in this chamber and revealed what brave NHS whistleblowers had uncovered about water contamination at the Queen Elizabeth University Hospital in Glasgow. It was met with denial delay and attempts to bully in silence by the Health Board. Two years on, we have had a discredited independent review, a case note review, the commencement of a public inquiry and ongoing police investigations. 
every step of the way, we have had to fight the system to bit by bit, piece by piece, uncover the truth. Thanks to the case note review, we know that two children's deaths were linked to hospital infections. There is now a criminal investigation into one of those deaths, Millie Main. But the Health Board only referred Millie's case to the Crown when Millie's family applied for a fatal accident inquiry. They didn't take the opportunity then to refer the second child, and they didn't take the opportunity when the case note review was published. I met with the Crown. They didn't know the details of the second child and had to ask me to provide those details, again thanks to the bravery of whistleblowers. That case note review was commissioned by the Scottish Government. Why wasn't that child's death reported for investigation? First Minister. Um, these are really serious matters that the Government uh, has and continues to take seriously. Uh, the Government commissioned the independent review. I, I do not uh, accept that it is a discredited independent review, but the Government also accepted uh, that there had to be further process in order to ensure that uh, parents uh, and families affected uh, by what had happened at the Queen Elizabeth Hospital uh, were, was fully and properly investigated. So this Government uh, established the public inquiry, which is now underway, uh, and, and that in inquiry uh, will take its course and is completely independent uh, of government and, indeed, of course, of Greater Glasgow and Clyde Health Board. As Anna Sarwar has also said, uh, there is a live uh, police investigation into uh, some of the cases uh, that have been uh, discussed in this chamber before. For all of these reasons, it would not be right, uh, appropriate or indeed helpful to the families concerned for me to get further into the detail of any of these cases, given the processes, the independent processes that are underway. But I want to leave no one, as I have done before, um, in any doubt about how seriously I uh, take these issues, how seriously the government takes these issues um, and how determined we are through the processes we have established in the form of the public inquiry to get to the answers, to get to the truth. Uh, and then all of us, uh, as a parliament, of course, will have the opportunity to reflect on those findings and consider what further action is necessary. Anna Sarwar. I thank the First Minister for that answer, but I think she misses a fundamental issue here, which is this is still campaigners, families and whistleblowers having to take on the system to get answers around the system working in their favour. Because at the heart of this are grieving families. We know that one of the families hadn't been told the truth about why their child died and hadn't been contacted. The First Minister gave this chamber a personal commitment that every effort would be made to contact that family. So I would appreciate an update on progress with that. But there is a fundamental issue here. In one case, Millie's family is fighting for answers. They now have a criminal investigation into her death. The other family has been kept in the dark. And up until now, there has been no criminal investigation into their child's death. These cases shouldn't be treated differently. It shouldn't take a family publicly fighting for answers. That's not acceptable. There should have been criminal investigations launched into both deaths as soon as the circumstances became clear. So why, First Minister, is it still falling to whistleblowers, families and campaigners to do the job of the Health Board and the job of the Scottish Government for them? First Minister. I simply don't think that I have the greatest of respect for whistleblowers. I have the greatest respect and obviously the greatest of sympathy for the families. And I would absolutely not hesitate to say that. But I go again to the point I made earlier on. It was this government, it was the previous Health Secretary, Jean Freeman, who commissioned 
uh, and established the public inquiry. Uh, the public inquiry is now underway. There are criminal investigations underway. It is not up to me what cases are investigated uh, from a criminal perspective and which uh, are not. Uh, rightly, that is not up to me. That is up to uh, the police and the Crown Office. Uh, and I, I know, uh, and again, just as uh, in the previous, I, I think it's important to, to try not uh, to divide on these issues, uh, but to, to recognise uh, the, the actions in this case of Anasawa. I know he cares deeply about the families involved here. And that's why I also know uh, he will recognise, uh, at least I hope he recognises, that the worst thing I could do uh, standing here as First Minister right now, in light of the independent processes that are underway, a statutory public inquiry and criminal investigations, would be for me to in any way inadvertently prejudice either of these processes by getting further into the detail of this right now. We've done what I think is the right thing to establish the independent inquiry. It is entirely for the police and the Crown Office to determine what criminal investigations uh, are undertaken. I think it is incumbent on all of us uh, who do take these issues seriously, who want to get to the answers here, that we allow these processes to take their course. And then, of course, when we have the findings of them, uh, this Parliament will have not just the opportunity, but a duty to reflect on any further action that is necessary. Anna Sarwar. I know the First Minister didn't give an update on the progress in finding um, the family, and I, I would appreciate that in response um, to this question. But I think she's also missing the fundamental point that it shouldn't take a family having to campaign in a newspaper in order to get a child's death investigated. That's fundamentally what's happened here. The reason why Millie Main's death is being investigated is because of the bravery of Kimberly Darrick to go onto the television and speak in a newspaper about what happened to her daughter. The other family doesn't have the opportunity to do that because they don't know what happened to their child. That cannot be a reason not to have a criminal investigation into that child's death. Now, months ago, I asked the First Minister to help find the family. And years ago, I asked her to hold the health board to account. And every time we asked them to take action, little happens. Every bit of progress has been fought for by the families and the campaigners. I know what she says about the public inquiry. That public inquiry was hard fought and won by the families and the campaigners, frankly, not by the government. Nicola Sturgeon was health secretary when the hospital was commissioned. She was First Minister when the hospital was opened and has been in charge throughout this scandal. Surely there must come a point when it stops being whistleblowers, families and campaigners taking on the state in order to get answers and instead the state takes the side of the whistleblowers, families and campaigners to find the answers and get justice. Because we can't wait for the outcome of the public inquiry for families to get justice. That could take years. Words of sympathy from the First Minister are frankly wearing thin. What is it going to take for Nicola Sturgeon to take responsibility, own this crisis, get a grip of this rotten health board and get the families the truth and the justice they deserve? First Minister. Sorry, I, before I, I go on to uh, that question, I, I apologise uh, for not addressing uh, the point about the, the efforts to trace the, the second family. I, the last time Anna Sarwar asked about this, uh, set out the steps that the health board had taken uh, to uh, try to locate the family. Um, I, they have not uh, located the family. As I absolutely understand it, that is not for the want of trying and effort, uh, and that uh, appropriate steps will continue to, to be taken. On the issue of criminal investigations, and this is a fundamental 
point of constitutional democracy. It is not up to the First Minister of the country at any time, whoever he or she may be, to determine uh, what cases are and are not subject to criminal investigation. It would be deeply improper uh, if that was the case. Um, and on the, the question, and Asar was just posed to me again, a, a government that has established a full independent statutory public inquiry cannot be said uh, to be a government that is somehow trying to hide away from getting to the truth. We want the answers uh, in order that if there are issues to be addressed uh, with the health board, they can be addressed. If there are issues around government policy, they can be addressed. And fundamentally, so that the families, the most important thing of all, get the answers that they want. But it is not credible for Anas Sarwar uh, to say that a public inquiry was fought for and campaigned for, and I accept that, although the government did establish the public inquiry, and then in the next breath, just to say, well, it doesn't matter, we, we can't wait for that, we have to somehow do something different. This is an independent statutory public inquiry. It, those who have a genuine interest in getting to the answers and the truth now, I think, have a duty to allow that inquiry to properly do its work. That's what the government is going to do, and I would suggest that that is what Anna Sarwar needs to do as well. I call Jim Fairley. Uh, thank you, President Officer. The First Minister will be aware of the Prime Minister's outrageous and condescending response on the Andrew Marshall and others regarding the cull and incineration of pigs which should have gone into our food system. Does she agree with me that this waste is unacceptable, as is the financial and emotional toll on the farmers involved, and that having a robust supply chain is completely undermined by a lack of a trained workforce? First Minister. Um, yes, I do. I, I do think it, it was deeply regrettable that the Prime Minister treated uh, the very serious issues of animal welfare with uh, such disdain uh, on Sunday, just as I think it was outrageous that he made an entire speech to his party conference yesterday and didn't uh, mention the fact that on that very day his government had taken away £20 a week uh, from the poorest families uh, across the country. Uh, in terms of the specific issue Jim Fairley raises, the government is monitoring this uh, very uh, carefully. At the heart of it is uh, labour shortages, which are impacting on many sectors uh, of our economy. Uh, the those labour shortages have been significantly exacerbated by the ending of freedom of movement that came about because of Brexit. Uh, we will do what we can uh, through employability and skills work to try to address that, but fundamentally uh, the answers and the solutions have to lie with the UK Government, uh, and I would call on them to take urgent action to make sure that these problems that have been experienced already uh, do not get even worse as the winter progresses. I call Alexander Stewart. Thank you, Presiding Officer. There have been long-standing issues with mental health treatment in my region. It is therefore troubling to learn of reports of inappropriate admission of children under 18 into adult psychiatric wards. First Minister, it is vital that young people with often complex needs get the help they need and deserve. Therefore, what action will the Scottish Government put in place to address these failings? First Minister. Um, it is important that uh, everybody who needs mental health uh, treatment gets that treatment in the best possible uh, setting. I think that is particularly uh, important when we're talking about children and adolescents. Uh, the government is already taking uh, a range of actions uh, to further develop community wellbeing services uh, for children and young people uh, and, for example, uh, providing counsellor funding for counsellors in schools so that there is much earlier intervention uh, for young people um, and that uh, more of them do not uh, require uh, the, the services of more specialist provision. Uh, so there's a range of work underway here um, which will continue to progress with additional funding over the months to come. 
Daniel Johnson. Thank you, Presiding Officer. Yesterday, an employment tribunal upheld former police officer Rona Malone's claims of victimisation against Police Scotland. The judgment was damning. It found that the firearms unit in which she served was an, and I quote, absolute boys club, and the culture was horrific. It also found evidence provided by officers from the Professional Standards Department, the department responsible for investigating complaints within the police, as implausible and wholly unsatisfactory. Now, I'm sure the First Minister, like me, has huge respect for the work that police do, both locally and nationally. However, I'm concerned that this experience of Ms Malone is not unique. In recent years, I've been approached by female officers raising issues regarding culture, out-of-hours behaviour, deployment rotas and equipment. There are complaints often being lost in a system that is difficult and stressful to navigate, ultimately leading to those officers resigning from the force rather than pursuing their complaints. I know Rona McLean have spoken to her, so can I ask the First Minister to join me in commending her for her bravery in uh, pursuing her complaint? And in light of the Sarah Everard uh, issues, does she feel uh, that there is a need for a fuller investigation and inquiry into the culture and practice within Police Scotland regarding sexism and misogyny? First Minister. Well, firstly, um, can I take the opportunity to pay tribute to Rona Malone and to say uh, how deeply troubling uh, I think the findings of the tribunal uh, were, uh, and I would commend her bravery in taking uh, that case. Uh, the findings, though, do paint a picture that should trouble all of us, and uh, I think it's really important uh, that in confronting these issues, as we all must do, uh, that we uh, do not consider that any case like this, or do not assume that any case like this, is necessarily an isolated incident. Um, and secondly, that we do not assume that any organisation in our society, however well respected uh, that organisation is by all of us, is somehow immune from the misogynistic culture that pervades our whole society. So, the findings of uh, this tribunal must be taken seriously and I welcome the response of Police Scotland yesterday to accept the findings and uh, express its seriousness in addressing uh, these issues. Um, more generally though, uh, this is a further reminder and there have been too many painful reminders of this in, in recent weeks, that uh, on the spectrum uh, of unacceptable experiences uh, on the part of women, uh, and it is a spectrum that goes from inappropriate comments through to discrimination in the workplace, uh, through to uh, violence um, and serious sexual assault. Uh, behind all of the behaviours, uh, experiences rather, on that spectrum lies unacceptable behaviour on the part of men. Um, and that is the problem that has to be uh, addressed and has to be rectified. Now, I uh, I'm old enough and have uh, seen uh, and, uh, at, you know, like all women, uh, at some stage of that spectrum, I've experienced this uh, over the years. Uh, so I don't say this lightly because, uh, you know, it's taken too long to get to this point. But I hope we are finally at a watershed moment and a turning point uh, where we stop expecting women to fix these problems and we put the full glare where it belongs uh, on men who behave in a deeply unacceptable and misogynistic way. And I would say to all men in this chamber and all men across the country, challenge it if it's on the part of other men that you know. Challenge your own behaviour and then let's collectively, as a society, turn the page and turn the corner so that women can live free of the fear of harassment, abuse, intimidation, violence, and in the worst cases, death. Question, 
Question number three, Alex Cole-Hamilton. Thank you, Presiding Officer. To ask the First Minister when the Cabinet will next meet. First Minister. It's Tuesday. Alex Cole-Hamilton. I'm very grateful for that reply. Muscle spasms, chronic fatigue, diarrhoea, air hunger to the point of gasping for breath. Figures released today show that 79,000 people in Scotland are now living with long COVID. It could be the biggest mass disabling event since the end of the First World War. The Scottish Government's initial intervention could only help 60 people a month, which is why the much-delayed long COVID plan published last week should have been transformative. But I've spoken today with a constituent who suffers from long COVID. He was, in his words, devastated to discover that nothing has changed. Now, I have warned before that people with the condition are better off moving to England, where there are well-established clinics and a care pathway, and nothing in this document will match that. Long COVID Scotland have been trying to meet the health secretary, but he has refused them at every turn. If he hasn't met them, how can he possibly know what they need? So will the First Minister either meet them herself or instruct her health secretary to do so at the earliest possibility? First Minister, uh, I believe the health secretary has met with long COVID patients and I'm sure he would uh, be more than willing to, to meet with others. This is a serious issue and one uh, that we are going to be living uh, with the impact of for uh, some time. Uh, I'm not going to comment because I'm, I'm not an expert on the uh, arrangements uh, south of the border. I, I do suspect they don't uh, always live up to uh, how they are talked about uh, here in, in some of the detail, but that is a, a, another matter. Uh, we have published uh, the long COVID uh, strategy that Alec Cole Hamilton refers to. There are 16 uh, different commitments in that. It is, all of those commitments are backed by uh, a £10 million uh, funding commitment. Uh, and part of that is to further our understanding uh, of uh, the reasons for and the implications of long COVID so that the services that are then developed uh, are properly addressing that. There's nothing to stop health boards establishing specialist provision uh, right now. Uh, but what we also want to do is make sure that through all of the, the more generalist NHS provision, uh, clinicians are capable of addressing the impacts of long COVID uh, as they are presented. So again, this is an issue that is serious now uh, and it's going to continue to be an obligation on the part of government, which is why the commitments in that paper are so important. I call Bob Doris. By of heat alarms in Scottish homes by February 2022. Is the First Minister aware that several retailers are still selling the previous generation of smoke and heat alarms which cannot be interlinked and cannot meet the new standards that are being brought in? Does she agree with me that such stores should be clear with customers about the February 2022 regulations ahead of any purchase being made? And can I ask if there will be any support for homeowners struggling to pay for the cost of installing such smoke and heat alarms? Can I ask if the First Minister contends that... Uh, yeah, I you heard enough of the question, First I, Minister. I, I think so, Presiding Officer. My apologies to Bob Doris. Uh, I, I missed the, the start of the question. The sound uh, couldn't be heard here in the chamber, but I, I think I uh, got the, the general thrust of it. Um, these are uh, obviously important issues uh, ahead of uh, the expected uh, demand for uh, smoke alarms uh, ahead of uh, the 1st of February uh, next year when the new standard is due to come into force. Uh, we, there's significant public interest because of the public awareness uh, campaign, uh, but we do know that some retailers uh, may have short-term supply issues. We have, though, been assured by manufacturers that there is a sufficient supply of alarms available to meet that expected uh, demand. Uh, we will continue to consider whether there is more we need to do to support uh, homeowners uh, be compliant with that standard um, and uh, take a 
uh, a range of actions should we consider uh, that that is necessary. But the public awareness uh, campaign was important in making sure people uh, have that increased understanding of what will be expected as of February next year. Cole Miles Briggs. Um, thank you, uh, Presiding Officer. A report published by the Crown Office Procurator Fiscal Service for Scotland reported 33,425 charges of domestic abuse in 2020-21. Now, that suggests, on average, 91 incidents of domestic abuse every day in Scotland, the highest level since 2015. And that's only the number of reported cases. Now, I know the First Minister has taken interest in this unacceptable situation. So, can I ask the First Minister if she will agree that the Scottish Government needs to review policies currently? in place and will she also investigate the establishment of family violence courts first minister uh, we'll consider any uh, reasonable proposal um, I, I know the new lord advocate uh, who as uh, people will know from uh, her background has uh, a very strong interest in ensuring that victims of domestic abuse um, and uh, women uh, who are victims of uh, male violence uh, get uh, appropriate and uh, speedy access to justice and I know she uh, is very uh, keen to ensure that all of the Crown Office uh, policies and procedures uh, are helping to ensure that that is the case. Um, it is, we obviously have commented on the, the underlying driving reasons uh, for domestic abuse and violence against women and girls but where uh, women uh, and girls do experience that and uh, while some men of course experience domestic abuse and it's important to recognise that, the majority um, are women, uh, that uh, the justice system responds appropriately. Uh, the numbers, uh, while they are deeply troubling, uh, anybody being uh, victims of those crimes is deeply troubling, but of course we've got to remember that increases in numbers uh, may mean that people now feel more able to come forward and support these crimes, which is something we should welcome. And of course this Parliament, to its great credit, uh, passed a new law uh, making uh, certain behaviour that wasn't previously criminal, uh, criminal uh, in terms of coercive and, and controlling abuse. So we, we've got to bear those things in mind when we're looking at the numbers. But making sure people have access to justice is an important part of this overall uh, approach to, to reducing the impact of domestic uh, abuse and violence on women. Question number four, Christine Graham. Uh, thank you, Presiding Officer. Uh, to ask the First Minister, in light of this being Libraries Week, what the Scottish Government's response is to reports that some libraries remain closed. First Minister. Well, Libraries Week is an opportunity to celebrate uh, the contribution uh, libraries make to our communities. Uh, a small number of libraries across the country have not yet reopened uh, after the COVID uh, closures. Uh, there are a number of reasons uh, for this, I understand, including uh, the fact that some are still being used as COVID test centres, uh, some are co-located within schools, or in some cases there is a requirement for refurbishment before reopening. However, I hope that uh, most of the others will reopen soon. Uh, I can say, though, that of the 481 uh, libraries uh, across Scotland, 432 of them uh, are open uh, as of uh, Monday, um, and a further 24 have announced uh, reopening dates uh, that uh, will be forthcoming. So well over 90% uh, of all libraries across the country uh, are uh, already open, and I think that's something we should welcome. Uh, in the programme for government, of course, we announced a £1.25 million public library COVID uh, support fund, uh, which is intended uh, to give local authorities and libraries uh, support in getting open again and staying open uh, because libraries are a vital and integral part of communities across our country. Christine Graham. I thank the First Minister for a detailed response. Many libraries are indeed open, though some on reduced hours, including in Midlothian, South Tweedale and Lauderdale. 
But does the First Minister agree with Pamela Tulloch, Chief Executive of Scottish Libraries and Information Council, which administers that welcome 1.25 million libraries recovery fund targeted at libraries in areas of deprivation, that this helps, but part of the problem has been the Council's understandable redeployment during COVID of staff elsewhere. And therefore, does she agree with me that as we move out of COVID, full staffing of libraries should again be possible, and therefore all libraries fully open? First Minister. Uh, yes, I do uh, agree with that. Um, I think it is important. I, I think everybody recognises, or everybody who has been reasonable, recognises the impact of COVID, not just on libraries, but on uh, many of the other services that local authorities uh, deliver. So there is a period of getting back to normal, uh, of reconfiguring services that had to be reconfigured uh, going into to COVID. But it is important that libraries can fully reopen, uh, unless there is a very good reason, a, a need for refurbishment, for example, or being used as a test centre, uh, when, where that cannot uh, happen. Uh, because libraries are important to give people, young people in particular, access to books. It was uh, access to a library that fueled my own love of reading when I was uh, young. That is vitally important. But these days, uh, libraries are used for many other things uh, as well. And it's important that that community provision is there, which is why uh, in Glasgow, uh, where my own constituency is, the vast majority of libraries uh, are open again. And that is welcome, as is the case across the country. But it's important that we support councils to get the remaining ones open as quickly as possible. Question number five, Megan Gallagher. To ask the First Minister whether the Scottish Government will review the implementation date for changes to allow parents to defer their child's start at primary school. First Minister. Now, of course, entry uh, to school can be deferred if a child is not yet five on the first day of primary school. Uh, not all deferred children are yet automatically entitled to a funded place in early years education. However, we have introduced new legislation uh, to guarantee funding for early learning and childcare during any deferred year. Uh, this uh, legislation will come into force from August uh, 2023. And that is in a timetable that has already been approved by Parliament. There are no plans to change this timetable because it has been developed in partnership with COSLA so that it is realistic and achievable. In the meantime, we've already committed £3 million to fund five authorities uh, to deliver um, in 2021-22 as part of a pilot programme uh, to support wider rollout of that commitment. And the Minister for Children and Young People will shortly announce additional pilot authorities for 2022-23. Megan Gallagher. Despite legislation being approved by Parliament, parents are still being refused the right to defer their child's school start. Indeed, the Scottish Government have opted for a trial approach, meaning that it has become a postcode lottery whether a council will grant permission for a child to start school one year later. School deferrals were not even mentioned as part of the Scottish Government's recovery plan. First Minister, why has the full implementation date been delayed until 2023? And will the Scottish Government commit to bringing this date forward so all parents have the same rights to make the best possible decision for their child's education? First Minister. Well, on the uh, issue of the August 2023 uh, implementation date, uh, I appreciate the member uh, wasn't in Parliament uh, when that was agreed, but that uh, implementation date uh, of August 2023 was agreed by Parliament on the 3rd of February 2021. And unless I am mistaken, it was supported by all Conservative uh, members of Parliament uh, at that time. And the reason for that is a pragmatic one. We have to work with COSLA to make sure that date 
um, is achievable and that it is deliverable. And that was the consensus that was reached and, as I say, backed by Parliament. Along the way, uh, we are piloting, as I said in my initial answer, uh, a number of local authorities to deliver on that commitment and to support the wider rollout. Uh, I understand parents want that to happen uh, straight away and I, I understand the reasons for that, but we're doing this uh, in the proper way so that it is deliverable, it is properly uh, delivered uh, and all children, when we get to that implementation date, should they want to defer or should their parents want to defer their entry to primary school, will have that right. Question number six, Martin Whitfield. Thank you, Presiding Officer. To ask the First Minister what the Scottish Government's response is to the announcement that the SQA has entered a two-year agreement with the Equality and Human Rights Commission to improve equalities practices after the Commission established, the SQA was not routinely assessing the impact of its policies and practices against the three needs of the public sector equality duty. First Minister. Uh, well, the Education Secretary met with the Chief Executive of the SQA earlier this week and impressed upon her the need to deliver against this Section 23 agreement. Uh, the EHRC's findings refer to historic emissions at the SQA. Learners can be assured that all required equality impact assessments regarding the awarding of national qualifications over the past two years were completed and published indeed by the SQA and the Scottish Government. Uh, I welcome SQA's action plan and their commitment to completing outstanding equality impact assessments for all of their current policies and practices uh, with 20 new, uh, 28 sorry, new equality impact assessments already published since August. Martin Whitfield. I'm grateful. The First Minister spent the whole of the last Parliament telling us that it was education. Education was her number one priority. One of the causes of the attainment gap she claims her government are working so hard to close is infamously inequality. So can she tell me, if it was her absolute priority, why did she never think to ask her own education governing body, were they looking at the question of equality? First Minister. What? I would expect the SQA and all uh, bodies, uh, whether they're government agencies or otherwise, uh, to have quality at the heart of everything they do. That's uh, been impressed upon the SQA, as I said in my opening uh, answer. Uh, as I also said, uh, this uh, finding of uh, the EHRC refers to historic uh, emissions. So over uh, the last period, indeed, uh, since the current uh, chief executive was appointed, any new SQA policy or practice that has been introduced has been subject to an equality impact assessment in line uh, with duties under the Equalities Act. Uh, so the SQA is right uh, now to go back uh, and make sure that that applies to all current policies and practices uh, and the government expects them fully to do so in line with their action plan. Thank you. That concludes First Minister's questions. We will now move on to members' business.